Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At bluenile.com, you can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to bluenile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at bluenile.com for $50 off your purchase. bluenile.com code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. The title of today's show is Try Removing the Foot. And that is from Paul Adams on Twitter. Now, I can't remove my foot. I need it for walking on. A runner-up is Christopher Fonseca, who suggested the race was so good that everybody wanted five seconds more. I'm your host, Richard Reddy, but my friends call me Spanners. So let's be friends. Welcome to the Austrian Grand Prix race review. I think it was a great race. It was solid action over induced drama. And I think a round of applause is warranted for race control, who resisted the competition safety car when they had the opportunity to do one. We warned at the beginning of the season that safety cars and red flags would become like race director crack but it looks like they've managed to detox themselves for one ro- for one race at least. And well done to Ferrari, who despite themselves are somehow still in this title fight. So let's get to the review. Coming up, we'll discuss is Sainz's title push over and what points have Ferrari squandered for Leclerc? What can Mercedes do from here? We'll take a bit of a dive into the new racing rules. And on a race weekend that delivered great racing, I'll ask, what have F1 done right and what have they done wrong? I'm actually going to argue that the new overtaking rules are actually a big step in the right direction, but that they enforced them incorrectly. Let's see if you agree with me. We are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. We're joined in the shed by Matt Two Rumpets. Five wide, take that NASCAR. <laughs> nice. Uh, Chris Stevens. Hey, Spanners. What does F1 think it is having two cracking races like that on the bounce? Unprecedented, especially for us 80s and 90s kids. And from Denmark, we have Christian Pedersen. Hey, Christian. I do not accept corner two. <laughs> I just don't want to acknowledge just it exists. Just putting it out there. Yeah, you can call it corner two. I will never be moved. I feel like there's a, a Kickstarter campaign or a GoFundMe there, Christian, that you can lead. In progress. 
Yeah, let's do that. Right, well, let's start with where this race was won and lost. I think we go to you here, Matt. No big ticket event. Uh, I was tempted to start with the, the collisions, but I think we're going to go into those racing rules and play some whose fault is this later. I think it was an intriguing race from a strategy and a tactical point of view. I think firstly, we should say that I think Pirelli got it right for this race. I really do prefer this kind of toss up between two stop, three stop to me is is much better than one-stop races, obviously, and it is just a smidge more interesting than one-slash-two-stop. Uh, well, if they got it right, they got it right accidentally because the uh, pre-race strategy call from them was a decided one-stop with a, yeah. a single stop between lap 24 and 32, I think. But uh, we can perhaps thank the infinitely variable Austrian weather for rinsing the track clean and dropping the temperatures and then maybe a little bit uh, having a sprint race, so only one practice session before the setups had to be dialed in for making it more interesting than usual. Yeah, I think there's definitely a, a point there, Matt, in the the sprint weekend, it puts so much more pressure on the teams to really nail the setup from the word go, because they only have the 60-minute FP1 session before they locked into Park Ferme. So if you haven't quite got it right, and, you know, we've seen throughout most of the season, the general consensus has been the Ferrari is quick in qualifying. The Red Bull has the race pace and maybe is slightly better on its tires. But this weekend it was flipped. It was role reversal. And I'm, I'm yeah, I'm wondering how much the, the sprint format played into that. And also, as you mentioned, the rain overnight and in the morning really washed the circuit. So they oh. had a very green and less rubbered in, less grippy circuit. I didn't know. I didn't know that there was there was rain overnight. Yeah, the F2 race was, uh, it was it was on the precipice of wet versus uh, slicks, and that's what made it so entertaining if anyone caught the uh, the feature race in the morning. Just a tiny addition to Chris, uh, the, the, I think the sprint format this weekend actually maybe was the first time the sprint format worked in uh, in collaboration with the, with the race itself, uh, and everyone was on the back foot. So, uh, so maybe the sprint as an event should be looked at in a different way. Maybe it should be looked at as an intro to the race. I'm, I'm not trying to stir up things here. No, 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 no. But, 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 but if we totally reset our emotions and feelings and, and past uh, sprint races and just look at this weekend, everything was uh, okay. I, maximum, I think. I would argue that we might be suffering from some collective Stockholm syndrome. My... My opinion of the sprint race hasn't changed. It it didn't add anything to me except taking away some of the mixed up up grid. Oh, it was mildly entertaining to watch Hamilton try to get through a Haas DRS train. My feelings of that have not changed, and I don't want to dwell on the sprint race. So we'll take we'll take that was one each from one side. So me correctly saying it adds nothing still, and Christian saying that wrong thing <laughs> that correctly got booed. Uh, but, uh, but Matt, yeah, the, as Chris touched on there, different teams definitely reacting to these tires differently. Yeah, and it was interesting because we had seen throughout the weekend, it, it really looked like Red Bull and Ferrari were, it actually looked like Red Bull were slightly faster on race pace and they turn up on the day and, you know, we'll, we'll forget about Perez for a second, but Verstappen was faster for exactly 12 laps and then he was really not at all. And Red Bull, I mean, let's not forget, this is Red Bull's home turf 
and uh, losing to the prancing horse on uh, this particular weekend must sting a little bit. But you know, Red Bull's always been very good here because of uh, the um, the altitude. Um, which we didn't really sort of talk about at any point this this weekend, but you know the the Honda engine or the Red Bull powertrains technologies thing, Honda one Honda now, had it right. has has historically worked very well at high altitude venues such as this one Mexico and and Brazil, but Ferrari able to to match that pace now it seems. I just want to add the uh, uh, the comment from uh, Leclerc after the sprint race, and he was very calm in his radio message. Yeah, we got this tomorrow. Yeah. And in, in from that perspective as well, I'm not, we're not going to talk about the sprint. I know, I know, easy spanners. But from that perspective, we get a glimpse into what to expect for tomorrow. So maybe a plus for the sprint. But let's just quit it there. Mm, fine, no fine, fine. I'm gonna, I'm gonna resist. Last wording it. I'm gonna resist the urge. I'm gonna be the bigger man. I'm just gonna let you be. I'm gonna let you be wrong, Matt. Continue. Well, and and this really ultimately was a, a, a story about tires. Of course. Okay, you two, both of you, you're testing me now. But continue. All right, here we go. I, I had to. It's in my contract. I right, have to okay, do this fine. now. I'm getting paid under the table by Pirelli. <laughs> no, it, it was. We expected a one-stop. We expected them to be close on race pace. But instead, Verstappen's tires absolutely evaporated. Mm. And by about the 12th lap, he he actually, Red Bull, and I think correctly for them, realized that there was no way they would win a one-stop race. And in fact, they weren't even sure they could finish a one-stop race without blowing up tires. So they brought Verstappen in early. And to me, the key moment in the race is that not only did Leclerc stay out, but signs did too. And at that yeah. moment, you were like, man, for unless, unless something horrible happens, like an engine blows up, Ferrari's got this in the back. Oh, do you think uh, Pirelli were bluffing a bit by saying, oh, it's going to, don't worry, it's going to be a one-stop race? Because they turned up at a track that has reasonable tire wear and they went for the th- softest compounds. I-, I think they consciously went for, let's make sure this is not like a, 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 a Sochi type one-stop affair at least let's avoid that i think they went for it and and they were rewarded and i think they 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 don't really have the risk anymore that if they go one step too soft the tires are just going to keep exploding or it's going to be a seven stop race i think they they're on top of the tires enough that they can afford to take a little bit of a risk now yeah i mean in terms of the compounds they chose yes absolutely they were doing their best to make it interesting and to give the teams margins where if they push too far they would get punished for it but I don't think they expected like a two or a three stop race, which is what we actually got. Yeah, I think the three stop might actually just be more because we got that late VSC. And so for the leaders, they weren't yes, going to lose true, anything true, and true, take yeah. an extra stop. So I think this otherwise would have been a two stop race. But Matt, that moment you were talking about where Ferrari did not react to Red Bull's early stop with Verstappen, absolutely crucial when yeah. it showed absolute confidence yeah. in their plan and in their drivers to get the job done because they would have to pass Verstappen on track, which Leclerc had already done. So they knew they could do it with evenly aged uh, tires and on, you know, at that point, the same strategy, you know, so doing it with a tire offset would have been even easier. And, you know, Leclerc ended up doing it three times in one race. And while the tires can be a little bit boring at times, I still think tires this year is maybe as essential as anything. And uh, yeah. the way it plays out when you see uh, a Red Bull instantly turning on the tires and you see a Mercedes having to go yes. one and a half a lap or something like that to turn on the tires, but then suddenly it 
comes alive during a uh, second part of their stint or whatever. This way of driving, everything just happens up and down during the entire race. Yeah. And I, I just love that. No, it's it's really good. And it's, yes, of course, we tease Matt because, not because tyres are boring, because he delivers it in a boring way. But yes. the tyres are <laughs> now an integral part of their, an integral part of the game. And different teams have different approaches. So they must know when they do these these setups how how their car behaves with the tires so red bull will understand now that they're going to be good in quali you know they can switch the tires on and get heat into the tires mercedes are not uh, qualifying to their pace and they're having to do double laps if anything to try and get the tires up to temperature and mercedes are struggling off the start line they seem to be consistently struggling off the start line as well um and then struggling out of the pits but then you do see them come alive and you watch the lap times and you go oh, last couple of races they're up there with the with the top team so the, the tire characteristics are, are absolutely fascinating this year but let's stick with uh, ferrari who delivered a race victory but not not of course chris without a healthy dose of ferrariness just sprinkling in that that ferrari bitterness in case anyone was enjoying that let's just sprinkle some ferrari on it yeah, that was uh, a real heart and mouth uh, moment oh, uh, for for Leclerc when when he had this throttle issue sticking up to thirty percent in the low speed was corner. It as much as that, as much as that. <laughs> and I got to tell you, as soon as I went on board with him, and I thought he's really got some understeer in that car now, and it would have just been it would have been different at like every corner and every lap as well, depending on how uh, how he was driving. I used to do karting. And uh, I think uh, on my third uh, drive in my brand new kart, uh, which was uh, a two-gear uh, DDR2, um, the, the throttle got stuck. And the thing about a throttle getting stuck, it sounds, it sounds like, well, then you can just brake. But everything is still full-on power, and you have no control at all. And while you're always going on the limit... A throttle stock 30% must be almost impossible in especially slow speed corners. So what we saw today from uh, Charles Leclerc was brilliant. Yeah. I mean, another just brilliant Charles Leclerc Definite. drive. I, I don't know why people keep doubting um, this guy's ability because Who's he's just me? sensational. Oh, yeah, me. I was, yeah. I just yeah, want to do a quick correction. You. Mia said um, Lewis had a, a pretty fast start in, in Silverstone. And I just want to clarify that what I meant was kind of like in the attacking and defending in the, in the corners. Yes, it was a great start off the line. Um, but Hamilton seems to have been losing places generally kind of lap one. Um, mostly to Magnussen and, and, Mag Silverstone. and Magnussen's carbon fibre. Um, all right. But apart from Silverstone and any other good starts you can mention, they've been struggling uh, off of the start line. But we're talking about Ferrari here. And I do want to be positive. But first, we do have to say that Ferrari do seem determined to try and lose these races when they have the opportunities. Because when Ocon was in fifth, I, I tweeted jokingly, but quite confident that Ocon had a really good chance of a podium if he kept that fifth place because you've got to factor in the Ferrari-ness. And it's not really a joke, Chris. Well, I, I would say Alpine had more self-sabotage going on this weekend than <laughs> Ferrari did. Uh, what was that? that a <laughs> bit of Alonso get... leaving him on the grid like that. Well, we'll get to that. But for uh, yeah, but Ferrari, Matt, um, you can almost depend on something going wrong. And, and both cars had issues. That could easily have been a double DNF for Ferrari today. Uh, yeah, well, uh, thankfully for us, uh, Ferrari, looking at the rules, decided to bet on power over reliability. So 
every race is a lottery with Ferrari right now when it comes to the power unit and things going wrong. Um, and yeah, they were lucky that Leclerc was able to manage the throttle at the end. Although I would say who amongst us doesn't go around turns with both the accelerator and brake pressed at the same time. I mean, am I the only one who drives this way? <laughs> well, I mean, I've never driven a, a Formula One car, but, you know, I know from from karting and and from sim racing, I know he, people hate that. But there is like a moment in the corner where you're perhaps off both pedals and you're using the tyres maybe to, to lose that final bit of, of pace or you're gently using the throttle to just bring yourself up to speed or you're off the throttle just brushing the brakes to get the nose in. And if you're doing that, Chris, but you've got 30% throttle stuck, mm. you have to completely adjust and fight your own acceleration. Exactly, yeah. And I think, Matt, that might explain some of your incidents in the Mist Apex iRacing F3 Cup, uh, available <laughs> on Mist Apex Motorsport YouTube channel. Yeah. Um, but the, uh, Link in but the show notes Ferrari, you're at the Ferrari, and it, but it cost them today as well, because not only did they lose you know, a podium with Carlos Sainz and those crucial constructors championship points, but Sainz was about to take points away from Max Verstappen as well by passing him for second place. Mm. And so instead of yes. taking, let's say, 10 points out of Verstappen's championship lead, he's only taken five points between losing to him in the sprint and Max getting the fastest lap. Yeah. He took more points out of him at Silverstone. So, yeah, good weekend, sign of things to come, but overall, they're really only just chipping away at that lead at the moment. Yeah, and, and they're lucky that Perez didn't finish in the points either, yeah. um, as it's kept the competition sort of closer on the constructor's side as well. And uh, frankly, I hate to bring it up now because I was going to bring it up later, but if I'm a Ferrari fan, I'm very grateful that George Russell drove signs off track at the beginning of the race, so there was no chance he would get in front of Leclerc at the start. Uh, yeah, that, so that was uh, that was an interesting one at the beginning of the race, and I think that's the first sort of incident we saw where we where we tested how they would treat off tracks because Russell seemed to give signs a healthy shove off track. I didn't see who was ahead at the apex, but signs just kept it pinned and then managed to get past. I mean, that's classic turn one in, uh, yeah, in Austria. Yeah, yeah. I, Everyone I, has I'm, done I'm, that. I'm wondering point. if the stewards looked at that and just went, well, he got shoved off. So fair enough. Keep, keep, I think keep it's your foot the, in. It, turn one. It's such a tight corner. It's an awful corner to start the race on truth be told. Um, uh, because it's, it's, there's really only one line through there going around the outside is, is really difficult. So, um, yeah, I would say when, when you have the start situation like that, they just, yeah, we'll, we'll let that one slide. In regards to Ferrari, I just want to mention the, the, the traction out of corner three for all the Ferrari cars, especially the Haas cars. Uh, it was, I think they were the fastest out of corner three, actually, Haas. Uh, and that was all down to the Ferrari engine. So it's not top speed. It's it's a traction thing for the Ferrari engine. So we have basically pretty short straights here in, in Austria uh, and where they were most dominant, where no one could catch him. We saw it Hamilton and, and Schumacher. It was almost impossible to go down into corner four. And that was the traction out of three, which mm. is a little bit uphill. Uh, and you go into this strange corner, that says a lot about the Ferrari engine. Uh, and when with Haas so close to the top, I'm a little bit afraid that the Ferrari engine is where everything's at, basically, for the Ferrari team. That's worrying, I think. Oh, like like like, like a Williams 
Mercedes situation 2014. Sort of, yeah, sort of, yeah. Of, of course, they're still the fastest team right now. So uh, mm. we, why shouldn't we, we should complain or anything? But uh, I, I truly wish for a little bit more luck for this team. So we could basically see how the car is performing. So it's not always down to a fire or something. Yeah, like well, well, there you go, Matt. There's Christian laying out how uh, Ferrari are controlling their traction. Well, are you, yeah, is well, that even banned anymore? Are you allowed traction control now? Uh, you've never no. been allowed traction control since they banned it in oh, okay. 94. So no, were... uh, it was allowed for a little bit, uh, and then they banned it again in 08. All right. Okay. There we go. Yeah. Um, okay. Oh, and um, Vettel used it in 2013, allegedly. But whatever. No. <laughs> cut cylinders. Cut cylinders. All you right. cannot just say a thing like that and then just move on. Okay. Yeah, good job I'm here. <laughs> okay. like what, the lawyer what, what I present. want to say about Ferrari, though, is um, I, w- I want to look at the amount of points they've lost Leclerc at the moment. He's 38 points only behind Max Verstappen. So we can talk about the, the tactical mistakes and what they've cost him in, in wins, so maybe seven points in Silverstone, uh, a dozen or so points at, at Monaco. But I think the biggest one has to be the reliability. Now, it is a team sport, and there, there will be Derek in the pedals department, whose job it is to make sure those pedals are operating. And it's not going to be just a random... You know, it's not an act of God. Someone has physically designed and made a pedal that... It must have a smaller margin of failure, and today it got stuck or was prepared badly. These these things are all part of the dynamics of, of Formula One, and the teams that get all the small things right won't lose out in the way that Leclerc nearly did today. What if he'd lost out today, Chris? Instead of 38 points behind, he would have been another 25 points behind on top of that, and it's game yeah. over. They were very, very close to all but signing off the title today. Yeah, 100%. And I, I, I tell you, there are at least three races that Charles Leclerc should have won, mm. and he didn't. And in two of them, he scored zero points. Of course, the yeah. spectacular engine failures in Barcelona and uh, Baku. And then, you know, you can throw uh, throw Silverstone into the list and maybe Monaco um, as okay. well. And and the big shame here, though, is that you were talking. You were bigging up Charles Leclerc and saying, "Why doesn't he get his props?" Verstappen has been getting his props this season from me, yeah. from from everyone. He's been driving Quite literally consistently. He's made very few errors apart from maybe the wind one uh, in in Barcelona. But equally, where has Leclerc put a foot wrong? You know, he should be Imola. leading the title. Imola is the only thing mm. that springs to mind. Yeah, you know, when he spun chasing, uh, I think it was Perez if I remember rightly. But other than that, he has driven absolutely perfectly, not put a foot wrong. Well, the interesting thing to me here is the demeanor that Leclerc has with his race engineer versus signs in his race engineer. If I was going to complain about Charles Leclerc, it would be simply that sometimes he accepts what the team tells him when he might need to advocate a bit more for himself. And I think Silverstone was a classic example of that. Yeah, and he didn't look happy either after that, Chris. And I'll tell you what, that's exactly what Science is doing. Because look at what yeah. happened at Silverstone. Science was saying, no, 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 no. I'm not playing the team. You need to do this for me so that I can win the race. And I'll tell you what, if this Carlos Science, the Science we've seen at Silverstone and this weekend, if he had shown up at the beginning of the season, then he would probably be in the title fight. I think the racing you saw from uh, Magnussen and Schumacher this week, says a lot about how you can control a team, how you can run a team, how you can do on track. I'm not sure it was uh, down to uh, a managed situation, but that was just what we got. Uh, 
And from a Ferrari perspective, what they should, uh, yeah, okay. I'm, I'm Christian. I'm 51 years old. I live in Denmark. I should not be telling Ferrari what to do, but still, no, no, this is sit what, down, this is what sit down, have a talk about the, 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 the brand and the car and making Ferrari the champion. And then afterwards, we talk about the drivers. That's not what's happening right now. You're the epitome and, uh, of podcasting, Christian. Don't you worry. Thank you very when much. When a middle aged white man loves his opinion very, means- very much, he starts a podcast. And that, that's where a podcasts podcast comes gets from. Its wings. That's why. I'm here, exactly. guys. Exactly. <laughs> uh, but no, no, no. Look, this is—it's a review show. You know, we don't make movies either, but we could have a movie review show. It's a—it's an F1 race review show. Uh, uh, yeah, we don't want to be negative. I certainly don't want to be negative about Carlos Sainz because he raced very well. He's good enough to have won a race. He was good enough to take his luck in Silverstone, and it was a bit lucky at Silverstone. And um, I could say, oh, he's—he's. He's, in fact, I suggested after Silverstone, has that done? damage to his relationships at Ferrari being that vocal saying stop inventing things uh, and there was reports that Leclerc's side of the garage didn't turn up to the cere- celebrations at Silverstone although that has been much poo-pooed and then his engine mysteriously blows up in the next race no no that's not I'll not start that conspiracy <laughs> theory but given that the engine did go and what a spectacular way to go if you're going to DNF why not roll backwards in flames towards an active F1 racetrack. That's the, way, that's, the way, that's the way to DNF if you're going to. That looked spectacular and scary. And there was a moment where I thought he wasn't actually going to be able to get out. He, he got his elbows up onto the cockpit and onto the halo, and he looked like he was struggling, Chris. And then the marshals came, and that thing wouldn't stop. And I was like, oh, just move the steering wheel, steer back into the wall, come on. Yeah, I'm slightly concerned why the car, for some reason, couldn't get it in the neutral and uh, so that it wouldn't, you know, roll back oh, like that. Put it in gear, yeah. Because, yeah, because, well, science was trying to get out of the car and it was rolling back and those flames were getting closer and closer yeah. and closer to him. And uh, that was uh, quite tense to watch. Um, so, yeah, luckily they all sort of got there in time and uh, hopefully yeah. lessons learned, you know, from that about readying fire extinguishers, for example, because as far as I'm aware, they're not sort of primed no. and ready to go. They have to be sort of unpinned and all this. Yeah, I mean, I think the bigger issue was the car rolling backwards, and I, I think oh, that's sure. that. I think that if if anything got missed, it was if a car fetches up there, you need to get somebody there to keep it from rolling quickly. Okay, and Rob in our patron chat, hello, patron chat says, "How dare you imply that Ferrari may suffer from internal politics?" And but look, that is the impression that we get, and that's like you know the general. It's, it almost feels like received knowledge. You know, it's like it's no knowledge. Of course, there's a ter- internal Ferrari politics. I think they need to start employing some Ferrari internal politics now because I think Carlos Sainz's title fight is over and he cost Charles points at Silverstone. Uh, They were messing around in the sprint race and they were genuinely racing between themselves. This is it, Chris. Carlos Sainz isn't going to win the title. Ferrari actually, it's going to be a hard conversation with Carlos Sainz Jr., but they've got to have that conversation and say, it's just like, like with Raikkonen in 2008. That's just the way the season's gone. We need your help. Yeah, I would have argued this point should have come a couple of races um, sooner. Um, but uh, really, it hasn't been up until Silverstone where it became a, a problem where Sainz was actually interfering with mm. Leclerc. They did nothing about it then, and they didn't do anything about it after the uh, the sprint either. Leclerc could have challenged Verstappen for the win had he not been too busy fighting with his teammate in the earlier stages and allowing Max to build a, to build a gap. And luckily science got a little bit sort of balked up with Russell at the start of the Grand Prix. Yeah. And so he wasn't able to challenge Leclerc 
and uh, and and he could go Leclerc could go with Verstappen on that occasion. But if that point hasn't already come where it's Carlos, please move aside for Charles, then it has now. Okay, well, they they might have a conversation with him, or they they might do what they've probably allegedly done in the past, and you will start to see science's pace just just drop back a little and he won't understand it. He won't know why he's not qualifying up there. He won't know perhaps why he doesn't have the race pace and it'll become no brainers because he'll be on different strategies and, uh, and don't fight Charles. Now you're on different strategies or he just simply won't have the pace to defend. I think Ferrari have got previous on that. I don't think Barrichello. I don't think Massa. I don't think Raikkonen. I don't think Vettel at the end had the same performance as their partners inherently in the car. But they still need him there yeah, fighting with Verstappen too because far back. he needs to be able to take points away from Verstappen. And if they do end up in a situation where Sainz ends up ahead of Charles, it needs to be a phone call to a Car 55, call. get out of the way. Matt. Well, uh, let's be very clear about this. Uh, they did do that. It's Silverston. They told Sainz to get out of the way. And you know what he did? He got out of the way. Yeah, they also told Absolutely. him to give him some space at the start, and instead he sort of burned past him and went and won the race. Because he knew that the only way that was going to finish was with all with, with was with Leclerc losing and him losing, because they were throwing away the tire advantage that, that they'd given to signs, but not Leclerc. Well, and he was also right about that, I will point out. This is not the British Grand Prix race review. No. This is the Austrian Grand Prix race review. And well done for to Ferrari for hanging on in there. But there is a, a very close alternate universe, Chris, where that was a double DNF. And uh, we need to bear yeah. that in mind. And just, I, I just my, my wish for Ferrari, because I, I would rather Ferrari won this year, um, <laughs> is that, no, I'm neutral, what we're talking about, yeah, is that they just, they tighten up the little things and start, start drilling and, as much as the pit crews have got to be disciplined, maybe you need a bit of a whip in the engineering department as well and just be like, guys, really focus, Derek, get down there. I want to I wanna check those tolerances, test that, that pedal till failure, then give me another one, Christian. Yeah. I mean, it's bad to think that, mm. the, uh, that Ferrari hasn't won a race or Leclerc hasn't won a race since March. That is crazy to me. Okay. But uh, yeah, finally done it. Just want to add that Magnussen drove almost the entire race with an engine failure. I'm, I'm getting so, a feel. I'm getting the feeling, Christian, that you you want to talk about has. That's no, 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 no. no I'm talking s- about the Ferrari engine. Right. So if we have one blow up and we have another Ferrari engine driving almost the yeah. entire race with the with the uh, uh, failure, that's it's rough, isn't that's it? That's not good. It is rough. Um, let's talk about the. Uh, 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 no, I had a comment about Haas. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Let's I'm talk kidding. about the home team. You had me there. You had me. <laughs> it's like, well, will somebody, will somebody rid me of this Dane? I was screaming out into the internet. Red Bull. Okay. Yeah, this was, um, it was a surprising one today because the Verstappen Red Bull machine has kind of been all powerful, all dominant. They disappear. He disappears. He breaks the DRS early on and you, you get the feeling like, oh, okay, well, he's gone. It's not a massive surprise because they're just they're just on it this year. So there was two surprises, really, Matt. It was A, it was seeing Leclerc hunt him down, get into DRS range, and then overtake. And then just matter of fact, them going, yeah, tyres are gone. And they pit on lap 12. And then they, they pit on lap, whatever it was, 37. Like, they really did not have the measure of this, this track and tyres. No. Um, and we could say, well, you know, maybe they were better on this tyre or better on that tyre. But even well into the race, 
what we were hearing was um, Verstappen saying that his grip levels were changing lap by lap. And to me, weirdly, that suggests that, that perhaps, because I, I heard that it might have been slightly windy there. I just wonder if their balance wasn't quite there and then add wind the wrong direction or, you know, changing lap by lap. And suddenly your car that looked really fast on Friday is struggling to get to the end of the race on two pit stops. Well, we heard Verstappen talking about the traction. There was a radio message saying, oh, this traction is a joke. Christian mentioned that seems to be a strength of the Ferrari-powered cars, the works team in particular. And I think when you mix that in with the green track that they were racing on because of the rain from the morning, then I think that just added up to Red Bull burning through the rear tyres a bit quicker than Ferrari were. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so I think Verstappen probably did all he could do today. And it was interesting watching him kind of put up a little bit of a token defence, but I think sensible (laughs) overall to not, like, push his luck. There was no signature Verstappen death lunge. I will say, so the move that Leclerc put on the first time around, absolutely brilliant, wonderful. It was like Max didn't see him coming. It was chef's kiffs, wonderful. Right, But then the the third time it happened, you see Verstappen has that sort of change in mindset. He knows that this is the crunch time. This is where the final crossover in strategy is going to come. And this is where this is the race that's going to be decided here and now. And you see that's when he starts mm-hmm. moving over in the inside and getting elbows out a little bit, but not enough to keep Leclerc at bay. And, and you're right, still super calm, collected. He knows he can afford to lose a couple of points to Leclerc in the championship. So no point chucking it at the wall, risking a penalty, damaging the car, anything like yeah. that. Um, so the interesting, the only real interesting thing I saw of uh, Verstappen's race was them at one point telling them to telling him to preserve his tyres to kind of match Hamilton. It became clear that his race was, oh, make sure you're ahead of Hamilton, which was probably a little bit more more comfortable than they thought in the end. And there was a little bit of the radio transmission missing, but I'm assuming the answer from Verstappen was like, no, I don't want to. That doesn't seem fun. I'm trying to think of when we've seen a Verstappen epic tyre saving race. You know, we've seen Perez and we've seen Hamilton um, put, put, you know, even the likes of Magnussen on occasion as well. Just go, right, okay, you need to do a super long stint to make this work. We barely ever see that from from Verstappen, Matt, and I'm not. I'm not saying it's because he can't, but maybe it's not his strength. So they, they, if there's um, if there's ever a, a toss up in strategy, Red Bull are very often very aggressive on more pit stops. Could that be down to a Verstappen preference? Oh, I think it's very much down to how he prefers to drive the mm. car. The last time I can think of anything like that would have been like Barcelona, maybe last year when Hamilton had the extra pit stop and caught him at the end. Or maybe it was even 2020. I don't know. Years kind of blend together when you're my age. But um, in this case, I, I think the interesting thing to me about them telling him to save those tires is they were doing that for a reason. And I think that reason was Lewis Hamilton, because I think had signs PU not gone kaboom, I'm not convinced that Red Bull weren't going to pit him again and that Hamilton might not have had an outside oh, shot see. at, at had, having a crack at him. Yeah, no, we forget that. And then, of course, the, the safety car kind of gives a, a no-brainer stop as well. So maybe yeah. we never got to see that play out. Because actually, Hamilton's pace, you know, once he got settled into those stints, was, was pretty useful. Um, yeah, and at one point, it looked like Verstappen might, might sort of fall back into his clutches. 
Yeah, and and I think that pit stop would have put him right on the edge of Hamilton's range for the end of the race. Would have been interesting to see, but um, as you say, the virtual safety car uh, changed the dynamic of the race a bit for everybody. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Why does Verstappen drive differently around Leclerc than anyone else? He, he, he's not aggressive around Leclerc the same way. He gives more room. He, he's more like in a waiting kind of driving position, whereas what everyone else, he's the one making the initiative. Yeah, we shoot back, it. it was get out of the way or we crash. Exactly. Uh, but with Leclerc, it's, mm, I got to watch out for this guy, sort of uh, mentality Chris. coming out of the car. He drives like that with him now. Let's not forget <laughs> what happened three years ago into to turn three, where he bumped wheels with Leclerc to take the uh, to take the lead off him. I do think it's a combination of these new racing rules um, that were established Ooh. at the beginning of the year, sort of forgotten about a little bit at Silverstone, and, and then we got reminded and then re-implemented of them. <laughs> yeah. this weekend. Incredibly frustrating, but we could do a whole show about that. Um, when, when, when? Well, oh God, uh, let's sure. get Brad on at some <laughs> no, no, point. Let's, <laughs> let's, let's actually summer break soon. Let's we do that now then. because we're going to talk okay. about uh, Perez and uh, and perhaps some of his recent scruffiness, and I think that will bring us on to the new racing rules and whose fault is it? Oh, but firstly, I'll just take a moment to say if you are enjoying Missed Apex podcast, if you've got this far, maybe you'd want to consider being a patron. Patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex. Support independent podcasting and uh, maybe just add some value if you think we give you any. No problem. If not, the show is uh, is always free. But if you want to be a patron, uh, we'll take away the ads on your podcast feed. You get a special podcast feed with no ads and you get the extra content with Doom Scrolling, which has been going really nicely. And we've had patron call-ins and all sorts. And it's been uh, really good fun. And uh, what else? Oh, and we've got a patron Slack group as well, where you can chat to us. And me and Matt spend far too much time there. Or if you just want to pat us on the head and say, well done, kids, and buy us a pint, you can uh, just drop us a tip at paypal.me forward slash Missed Apex. Link in our show notes below. Um, but apart from that, let's talk about racing rules. 
So for me, guys, we've seen a, a change of approach from Sergio Perez. He's got a kind of nothing to lose style of, of driving, super uncharacteristically aggressive at Silverstone. I think aggressive here as well. I don't think he's particularly doing himself much favours. He rolled the dice at Silverstone and it worked. He's rolled the dice here, in my opinion, and he's not been able to, to make that pay. Chris, I suppose we should play the bumper. Sorry, lots of bumpers in a row, but it's important, this one. Whose fault is it? Whose fault is it? Uh, go on then, Chris. Who, whose fault was the collision between Perez and Russell? So, according to the stewards, George understeered into the side of Sergio Perez. And I can see that viewpoint because it was almost identical to the Hamilton-Albon collision at that same corner a couple of years ago. But for me, there was a crucial difference oh, this time. In that, Go on. <laughs> no, Christian's ready for it. But the yeah. crucial difference for me this time was that Perez had much more space on the left-hand side of the track as compared to, say, the Albon-Hamilton incident. Now, George had more space on the right as well. I think we just we need to kind of accept, especially after Sebastian Vettel tried it and failed, that the outside of Turn 4 just doesn't really work. Christian? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm 100% sure about this. So okay. Corner 4 is... It, by definition, definition an understeery corner. So when you go in there on the perfect line, you will, by definition, understeer a little yeah. bit. That is just the nature of the, it's the falling exit of away, the corner, isn't it? It's falling exactly. away. Exactly. Yeah. So by judging this as a Russell mistake, the 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 race direction has no insight into what actual driving is, and that is a major issue. If you have people making decisions based on what driving is, that has no insight into what is going on. I, again, I'm 51 years old. I'm a Dane. I have, I'm, do not work in Formula One, but I know this at least. And I've only driven a little bit of karting. That was so ridiculous. And they are basically ruining everything because what do you do now? This weekend, we had Sebastian Vettel leaving the driver's meeting in anger. Yes. And he got a reprimand for this. Oh, Christian. There's, some, there's something yeah. going on here. And I think there's a big thing. I, I, I'm a bit heartened by the fact that Vettel, he got a fine, didn't he, for storming out the driver's room, dissatisfaction about the stewarding, how it's applied. Suspended, but a fine. Suspended fine, sure. Um, but on the last race review, you know, I was unhappy with the stewarding and it's never nice to be like critical about people who are, I'm sure, acting in, in good faith, but we did identify some problems and inconsistency. So seeing you know, a respected driver and I think the general murmur from the driver saying the same thing. At least I know I wasn't just shouting into the void. I, I take no pleasure from being negative in that way. Uh, Chris, the Matt. Many of the drivers have expressed dissatisfaction yeah. with this inconsistency. There are quite a few drivers gone on the record. You see that on Autosport, motorsport.com. Um, and then I think it was this weekend, George Russell in his role as the head of the Grand Prix Drivers Association sort of presented these arguments and these examples on a PowerPoint. to the FIA yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah. exactly. On a yeah. very well-prepared power PowerPoint. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, it's almost like they are, it's like they have the right idea. We saw battles go through that turn. I saw Norris go around Magnuson in turn four and they did not hit each other. But rather than giving one driver or the other, the right on the way to the straight part of the track, to take the other one off, depending upon where their wheels are, it should just be simple. If they are alongside enough to be considered alongside, you each need to give the other maximum room. 
And oh, if you don't, yeah, yeah. you're going to be at fault for causing a collision. So it's pretty simple. So I, I also think Perez was was at fault, but that's going to lead naturally onto the conversation about these new rules that Chris was talking about, which is basically if you're alongside uh, at the apex, they've now they've now made a clarification, which I actually really agree with. Um, when I heard about it for the first time on the previous show, it caught me a bit by surprise. But thinking about it now, I, I think it's a clear line in the sand of how the outside car is supposed to behave. So I just want to quickly go through what I think the rule says and and importantly, what the rule does not say. So the rule is saying, if the, you're overtaking on the outside, forget about the problems of deciding which car is overtaking or not. If you're overtaking on the outside and by the time you get to the apex, you are not ahead. So the front of your car is not ahead of the inside car's front as well. If you're not ahead by then, give up. Don't expect to necessarily be given room on the outside. If you are ahead then the inside car must leave you a car's width on the edge of the track. So you being ahead at the apex, and there's a problem with what at the apex means as well. But basically, if you're ahead at the apex, you know you can hang it out there and you should be left room. And if you're not, the inside driver is going to get a penalty. If you you are behind, then it's on you. You really should duck out and you can't complain if you get shoved off. I, I actually like that. That's clear. That's not exactly how I would interpret it, Matt, but that is clear. And if it is clear... I mean, how much space did Perez have to his left? Russell left him plenty of room. If we're going to get specific about the application of that rule. Yes. Okay. So that's the next point which I want to make, which is what the rule does not say is that if you're ahead at the apex, you can just turn in whenever you want. What it does say, it says that you will have room at the exit if you're ahead. It doesn't say you can, because you're ahead at the apex, just drive into the middle of the track. You still have to do the normal thing, which is... You can't turn until a car inside you is no longer there. So if you still turn into a car that's there, the inside car doesn't have to turn. The inside car could go straight on like Rosberg in 2015. The inside car can go straight on to the point where if he has to leave you a if the driver has to leave you a car's width, he can drive all the way to the edge and then just turn at the last minute enough to leave you space to come on the track. What Perez did was go, well, I'm ahead at the apex, therefore I can cut him tight. And if you look to the space on Perez's left, that's the space that he should have been occupying there, especially on an understeery corner. Russell did not have to see Perez turning in and go, ah, now I need to hug the apex. Now I need to be the one to back out. Christian. Uh, I just want to mention that this was a racing incident in my book. I don't think either Russell or Perez was at fault. And and no Spanish. Have you not understood <laughs> these rules yet? I, yes. Uh, but I do want to add, let's say it's the final race of the season. Uh, it's The winner is going to take the championship. It's uh, Leclerc, it's Verstappen. Corner one. Perez just jumps it on the outside. Gets ahead. Has no way of making the corner, but still gets ahead. Mm-hmm. It's a penalty for Leclerc he overtook. No, it's only because no, no, he, can, no. he can put Leclerc in that position. No, today, no, no. Uh, Sergio Perez put Russell in that position. No, no, right. So in your in your situation that you're describing there, Leclerc would simply have to make the corner in such a manner that he would also be able to leave a space for Verstappen on the outside once you get to the exit. All, all that rule is saying is that if the car on the outside is ahead, you can't just jam it onto the edge in what I used to call the Verstappen-Hamilton manoeuvre. I, I totally hear you, Spanos, but the, the corner four is a, a specific corner. And maybe it only goes for this uh, one corner in the calendar, and so be it. But still, if you, it, 
there was no way he could have driven outside Russell in that corner, and they are both making it. Russell couldn't do anything from his racing line. He wasn't understeery. Mm. I mean, it's just he wasn't a, overly understeery. He wasn't overly understeery. He was the normal <laughs> amount of understeery. No, I won't accept it. He was not oversteery. You are, per definition, oversteering that corner. Uh, understeering, yeah, uh, uh, yes. Understeery, yes. Sorry. So what I mean is, he was not understeering more than you would naturally expect at that corner. Exactly. But, but Chris, if you look at like the, the Vettel's line into there, Vettel did get shoved off, and but Vettel, he he sort of he stayed wide. And then he didn't take space that had a car occupied. He went all the way to the outside like a good boy. And then he got shoved off. And that's why Gasly got the penalty. Yes, exactly. There's a crucial difference between those two incidents. The Vettel one is much more similar to the Albon-Hamilton incident from a few years ago. Very famous example if you were watching Formula One at the time. Um, And where, yes, it was more down to the inside car not leaving the correct amount of space. because that car's got to sort of move forward at some point. And it, yeah. it can it can look like they're sort of coming across, but really they've just not got the space. So we're all very guilty of doing the thing where we put our hands up next to each other to describe where the cars are. Completely yes, useless on the me, podcast. <laughs> it helps me with the words. But, but look, I like this. I think I think the who's at the f- ahead at the apex, I think it's a, at least it's a rule that can be applied consistently. I think today yeah. the thing that was missed was that doesn't mean the outside car can just dictate any line that they want. So I, I think they got this one wrong. Yeah, there was also some comments in our chat room there saying they really like dropped the ball with track limits um, as well. I Ooh, personally I don't it. think they did. I, I love the fact yeah. that we're enforcing the track Good. limits yeah. rule. It's just the circuit was a little bit ridiculous and that it was so easy to do it and the drivers can't see when they're doing it because the tyres are too tall now or the visibility out of the cars yeah, got worse. Orange smoke. Yeah, Christian. Yeah. <laughs> the issue is this is a televised sport and it is nothing without viewers, i.e. fans. If you have a lot of uh, penalties and you have no way of showing why they're there, you have no communication about it, it just becomes a moo point. And, and this brings me back to what Formula One is. Formula One is a sport. It's about having some winners and everyone doing the same thing with the same set of rules. And currently, those rules can be very difficult to understand. And some of them are applied without us even knowing yeah. why and how come. And that is bad for sport. Uh, Paddy in our chat says, do we all agree on where the apex is? And I think that brings me on to the last real point I want to re-emphasize on this is the inside defending car doesn't have to take the apex. I don't know who told you that. Who told you the inside car has to take the apex? They absolutely 100% don't. And I think that is one outstanding problem with this rule is if you're not anywhere near the apex, either of you, how do you determine at what point you've passed the apex? But I think, I really honestly think them making that rule is a positive step in the right direction. Mercedes. Qualifying was a bit odd, wasn't it? It was a bit odd and a bit like jarring to see Hamilton lose it into the wall. I think the last time I saw him make a real unforced error like that, you've probably got to go back years. The last time you saw him, maybe 20, poor, 2018 in Germany, and that was a brake failure. He doesn't very often just bin it in quality, Chris. No, absolutely not. Very rare to see that kind of mistake from Lewis Hamilton. Even rarer to see it happen to both Mercedes in the same session. Really bizarre. Mercedes are not back. Yeah, I know we kind of have this fanfare at Silverstone. Mercedes are back. They're going to be challenging for wins before we know it. They're not 
quite back yet. It's going to be a little bit circuit dependent, I feel. Yes. And then, of course, because we had those two big incidents and they're almost kind of held together with duct tape, those cars at, at some point. George Russell had no straight line speed because the only rear wing they had left for his car was a very high angle, steep, very draggy rear wing. And I think about the circuits we're going to next, La Castellet, very high speed um, circuit, Spa, Monza after the summer break. And if they don't sort out this drag issue, they're going to really struggle. Mm over the course of the next few races. But is it a bit simpler than that, though, Christian? Like, isn't isn't it that Silverstone was a track that, that suited them and they have made the step forward, but Austria never really gives them the, the best out of the, the car's advantages. It doesn't have a lot of you know, high, medium to high-speed corners. Actually, I think uh, Mercedes is uh, slow, medium-speed corners, uh, maybe among the, amongst the fastest of them all. But I want to add that uh, Hamilton's uh, off in qualifying. At that exact time, the biggest gust of wind was measured in that exact corner during the entire qualifying. So maybe it it's a car that is right on the tip of its balance. So the, the wind gusts uh, threw both of them off. That would be my theory anyway. Well, we, uh, Spanish reference the the Verstappen and Sainz gust of wind in Barcelona that uh, had a, sort of an equally dramatic effect on the car's handling. So it seems to be a, an across-the-board issue, maybe. Exactly, yeah. And also, I want to add that Mercedes came away from this weekend with 27 points. I know, Chris, you're saying they're not back, and I totally uh, agree. They were like 25 seconds behind or something, the pack up front. But 27 points from they, a weekend where they both crashed in qualifying. They this won. Mad. They won, Chris. Chris, they, Mercedes <laughs> won today. Yeah. The most no, points. They scored more points than either Ferrari or Red Bull, that's yeah, for exactly. sure. No, it's mad, isn't it, how they still seem to be able to sort of exactly. scupper their way into these big points-paying positions. And um, that is Mercedes' true trick. And, and also the drivers as well, it must be said. Russell, I know he had the incident at the start of the race, but from then on, wonderful, masterful recovery. Hamilton struggled to get through the traffic in the sprint, in the race, as soon as it was in clear air, pace, pace, pace. And the, the, the only thing they're missing now is this raw speed to Ferrari and, and Red Bull because finishing 40 seconds back behind from them, I know they both had traffic and things holding them back a little bit, but yeah, 40 seconds is unacceptable for Mercedes. So let's face it. The only person who won this race more than Mercedes today was probably Alonzo. I'm just <laughs> going to say it now. Uh, but given that, I'm going to entirely disagree with you. Um, I looked at the laps and the lap time, and I, I, without doing anything, making any allowances, Mercedes was half a second off the Ferrari of Leclerc mm-hmm. over the course of the race. The next closest person would have been Ocon, who was about just under a second off. For 71 laps. But I also did this. I went and looked at how much time Lewis lost in traffic before he got clear. And that was about 20 seconds. And then I looked at how much time he lost just in his pit stop, let's yeah. say. That was another two seconds. And then behind, and I needed yeah. that calculation. And it's about three and a half tenths. So by my reckoning at a track that is not great for them, Mercedes was only three and a half tenths off the leaders in terms of raw pace. Now, I think that's a bit more than a step. And if should they get to a track that favors them, as we saw at Silverstone, they, they will be playing around for the lead. And we have still coming at Spa this whole technical update Michigas 
that we don't know how it's going to affect Ferrari or yeah. Red so, Bull. So Operation yeah. Nerf Red Bull <laughs> command. <laughs> so barring the you know the summer break and the upgrades you get on the cars naturally after the summer break and the technical delegate as well regarding the floors and the planks illegal floors just say it chris at the moment where is the next circuit that mercedes could be considered quick because the circuit's coming up they've got too many straights or they're too slow the next silverstone-esque circuit what suzuka when's that october no i think i think ricard is going to favor them yeah me too really more so than this one yeah more than maybe more than this one yeah but there's still on the back foot i feel okay i was um staring at the the timing screens and i think hamilton stint for stint was genuinely competitive without the losses that he'd made with Carlos Sainz. So he was genuinely on Carlos Sainz's pace, um, you know, a little step back from Leclerc. We couldn't compare that pace uh, to uh, to Verstappen because they were on different tyres and strategies very often. However, they lost out by obviously dropping it in, in qualifying, um, maybe a characteristic of their car, wind, whatever, floor too low, not being able to adjust to wind conditions. Then obviously uh, playing uh, pinball, with uh, with Gasly and such like in the sprint race, lost that getting stuck behind the horses that that again that ugly just four seconds slightly off the the pace uh, pit stop that then put them into into traffic behind Stroll and behind Ocon as well, which again very costly. It means Mercedes don't have that tool in their arsenal. If you were if you were if you if you kind of forgive them all of that, it, it did look like a, a solid podium adjacent car today matt so i'm with you but those flaws that put them back in the pack and that made them lose time are real and do exist Uh, yeah they do but i think what we can safely say is they're not going to lose any pace when the new technical rules new technical rules come into play and uh, i don't know i think uh, i know brad was talking about new suspension parts they may have been running softer suspension because they finally can i think they're moving into a new area of performance and the specific conditions at this track caught them out a little bit in qualifying but that's something that mercedes is very good at fixing and you look at haas no upgrades just set up work look at how much ground they have gained i i think there's a lot of positives for mercedes coming out of this weekend maybe so but i'm still concerned for lewis hamilton's record of winning a grand prix in every oh, no. season he is he'll get one i know right we're, we're halfway through the season now yeah and the, the only time he's looked close was silverstone now maybe in a couple of races time we will we'll forget i ever said this so, so the, but, what you're uh, saying the is moment, chris the first time he had a competitive car he looked like he could probably win it and he was in with a shot that's what you've just said so look <laughs> there's uh, there's another 45 races yeah. left christian the hamilton fans out there he started the season being what 300 kilometers off pace <laughs> and now he's been on the podium for the last three races yeah so, that's true very uh, consistent uh, he's just relentless and uh, i love the way he's driving the same with leclerc verstappen we are seeing masterpieces out there i think from a lot of the great guys he may have been on the podium in the last three races but it's because perez has been out or science has been out or leclerc has been out of it you know it's come down to failings from red bull and ferrari you can't rely Which on seems that to be a trend chris <laughs> 
Yes, I know. Yes, there does seem to be a trend. Well, we can't actually, rely on I, I that. did kind of want to talk about this a little bit as well because not crashing into people, not spinning off, and and not having failures is part of Formula One and is a skill in itself. Now, I was critical, and then I saw Brad tweet it as well. We've been critical of Lewis Hamilton being cautious and that he was perhaps a bit too cautious at Silverstone. And we said, you know, he's fighting like someone who has to, you know, be a bit hands off because he's fighting for a championship, not scrapping like a midfielder. But who who is being gloves off in that Mercedes team and is being a bit on the limit is George Russell. And it's not it's not working for him. Hamilton is keeping his nose clean and he might, yes, have lost out on one or two positions. But ultimately, he is delivering results by being a little bit, you know, it's a, he's a bit of an older head these days. I know, Chris, you can argue. Yes, he is. Russell is hey, way no, more not. on the limit. Now, Hang Chris is going to. Who, who is the one who's finished in the top five in every race he's fit and only not finished one race? George Russell. Yeah, but he is, in the last few races, he is much more on the edge, pushing a lot harder, taking a lot more risks. Yeah, the last couple of races, yeah, maybe. But that's what I'm just talking to, about, Chris. Just, well, just, uh, just to jump to Lewis Hamilton's defence a little bit about his driving in the sprint race. Oh, okay, yeah. Because we know they're already short on on parts. If he damaged the car again, again. <laughs> yeah, and, and, true, yeah, and yeah, yeah. because of the cost cap mm. as well, they have to be so careful with these cars no, now. So basically, I was saying that I, th- I feel like my criticism might have been slightly misplaced because he he is delivering some results. But yeah. I just I think we kind of have to accept that Lewis Hamilton is an older driver and your mindset and mentality does Stop change. It. Stop it, Spurners. Go on, Christian. Go on, Christian. He's <laughs> 37. He's 37. <laughs> 37 is old yeah. for an athlete, and it's old just in Alonso mindset. Alonso is 41, and he's going to be renewed for two years probably. So he's going to be 43. Yeah, Alonso, yeah. look, if you, wow. throw, if you throw the exception that proves the rule in my face, then, then yeah. I'm not saying Lewis Hamilton is getting worse, necessarily. Although I do, I do think, as an athlete, we've probably seen his peak. He's still a very good driver, but his mindset and his approach and his risk-reward balance has clearly changed, Matt. Yeah, as an old person here, I'm going yeah. to say you may have seen like his raw physical peak, his mm. absolute reaction yes. time, yeah. but we may not yet have seen the very, very best of Lewis Hamilton because he has experience that very few people on this grid have. Yeah, and he's shown that he's got the mind yeah. to apply those rules exactly. In all and, sorts and that's of why I'm situations. saying maybe Lewis Hamilton, seven-time world champion is is correct in taking that approach and me uh, a middle-aged dad in a shed is is wrong for criticizing that approach i'm suggesting that might be a vague possibility but look um france might be a bit of a better track for them they are a long way off the top if you look at max verstappen 208 george russell on 128 and lewis hamilton 99 points behind the lead as much as people were were saying if if they're not on top by silverstone it's over. I think they're out of the drivers' championship. Both of them. They're both out. Ag- agreed. And the constructors. And the constructors. They, oh, I haven't looked at the constructors. How far are they behind on that? Oh, Christian, oh, Christian shaking his head. Go on <laughs> I'm going to say uh, the second half of the season is going to be uh, Mercedes and uh, Red Bull with Ferrari just messing things up behind. Uh, from Doesn't a team perspective, well but I don't think anyone can catch Max because uh, if if the Red Bull keeps uh, keeps driving like it does, I think uh, Max Verstappen is going to win it. That's oh, I, not what we want to hear. I, I know that's I, not the recipe, and I, it's not what I signed up for either. Before we started the show, I'm sorry, Spanners. I, know, I don't, I don't quite down. agree. I don't quite agree. I I think I think Leclerc has a real shot. I, Leclerc is is every bit the driver Verstappen is. 
without quite the experience of a championship fight. But what we've seen is we've seen Charles Leclerc evolve from that kid who's like slapping his own forehead going stupid stupid why are you like this Charles and this is why everyone hates you and you're ugly he he now definitely knows that he's you know one of the prettiest at prom and that he can deliver a world title if things go his way and that's if the car goes his way and if the team just openly go we are supporting Charles Leclerc now he is on 170 points 38 points behind Carlos Sainz is on 133 something something points behind uh, and that means that it, it has to be all behind Leclerc it's, it's funny you mentioned the title fight thing with regards to Charles Leclerc because I can't remember what his GP3 championship was was like but the Formula 2 he absolutely dominated it he had just no competition that year at, at all so in terms of being in the scrap for the title you're right I do think he likes that a little bit and I'm not talking about Charles Leclerc's talent. I'm talking about Ferraris. Mm, oh, yeah, that's a fair. Lack of luck, maybe. It, it's fine. But at some point, look, are they having a bad time, Ferrari? Or, you know, is there inherent flaws in their engineering practices and their strategy department? I'm not answering that. But this season, it looks like they have inherent reliability problems. And it looks like the strategy department isn't sparking. Do they have it within themselves as a team to acknowledge that, look at themselves and say this isn't good enough? Or is it the kind of organisation where, you know, they just sack a couple of people to be the full guys and carry on? Genuine question. I genuinely don't know. If there's anyone from Ferrari listening or or in and around Ferrari that wants to DM me and just give me me an insight into the, the mindset of that team, if they can turn it around and get a grip of it, Charles Leclerc, I think it's not over. He can, he can win. He can deliver that title. All right, should we move on uh, down the grids? Mick Schumacher, looking good. Looking all right for once, Chris. I think Schumacher is finally showing his Schumacherness. Really? And uh, well, not ah, not to the same I, extent as his old man, but there's there's some spark there now. There was no spark before. Now there is an essence of a Formula One driver being shown. A breath his, of momentum. Racing. Exactly. Isn't exactly. it amazing how a couple of results and points and stuff can start to change people's attitudes and mindsets yeah. I, I still think that this might be a, a little bit of a, a spike i think it might be premature but it's definitely going in the right direction it's better than having two rubbish results in a row yeah well if he keeps going like this yeah. absolutely yes it's a sign of great things so let's see if he can continue on the, i really hope he does but i think it's a, a sign of things to come hopefully to be defending against a, a seven-time world champion like he did in the sprint remarkable well, let's just face it. Haas have had two double points finishes mm. on the bounce. Magnussen has said that Schumacher's been on his pace for a while. What we've seen him deliver, though, this weekend that we've not seen before is the complete weekend. First time we've seen it, can he keep it up at different types of tracks? That's now the question. We're now going to hear from Dane and presumably <laughs> Schumacher hater, uh, Christian Pedersen. Uh, what, do, what do you think? Is he starting to get a grip of his, his older teammate? The uh, that's the Danish uh, national football song. Oh right, okay, carry on. Yeah, no, please. and I it's was... horrible. I'm not gonna sing. Okay. Um, I, I would uh, I would mention that Magnussen was uh, <laughs> after the race. He was uh, big smiles. This is great for the team. Uh, da 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 Just up in the air. Uh, of course, the engine failure probably did its thing there, but still up in the air. Yeah. And then you have uh, uh, Mick Schumacher, who's been far below what was expected for him for one and a half year. Then he has two good weekends and all of a sudden uh, Magnussen should just move out of the way. 
I don't think that's the right spirit yeah, somehow. Chris. Uh, and I think it's going to need some management eventually within Haas that we already on the f- uh, second race where Schumacher has some pace, has these uh, Steiner-Schumacher uh, uh, differences and stuff like that. So I see a little bit of things coming. And I also think he, he was a bit too over-aggressive in the way he uh, defended himself, moved way too much on the braking. Who was that? Who? Uh, Mick Schumacher. Okay, yep. Uh while I'm a, a big fan of uh, Kevin, of course, and I root mm. for my, my Danish heritage uh, and the Haas team per definition by that default, this uh, I, uh, I hope he can keep it up, but uh, he should be a little bit more, uh, yes, I'm going to do what the team wants, with in my you, opinion. With you, Chris. Yeah, th- there's already that friction starting to emerge between those two because in the sprint, Mick wanted Kevin True. to give him the DRS to help defend from, from Lewis. And uh, Kevin didn't play ball. So let's see how that unravels across the season. Worth reminding people as well, Haas getting these two big scoring uh, races in a row, despite zero upgrades on the card, just improving what they already had. KP? Oh, sorry. I was just uh, agreeing. Oh, I thought, I thought <laughs> you had your, my head. You, I I you totally had your hand Chris, up. As you, always. Were, you were waving in agreement and delight. And that as always. Uh, I want to move it on, Matt, but last one from you. Oh, well, no, I was going to move it on myself, so go ahead. Oh, okay. Aston Martin. Is that where you were going? That's where I was going. No, I was going to talk about the big constructors' battle. Okay. Oh, my goodness. Okay, that's better. Okay, I'll do my Aston Martin after this. These new regulations got written off by people after half a dozen street tracks, but we've had two races in a row where I think it's so positive. Those five cars coming up towards turn three, like two columns, all so close. You didn't know how it was going to shake out. This is what we've been dreaming about. Finally, a set of regulations that lets these cars race, I would say, as well as I've ever seen in Formula One. I can't remember any regulation set since the 80s that let cars do that, Matt. Uh, no, it, it was it was remarkable to see not just the battle happening, but the battle happening without a single car getting hit or being <laughs> sent off track. It was fantastic. Absolutely. <laughs> The quality of the racing, as in, you know, the driver's ability to race wheel to wheel together has just improved massively as a result of this. Yeah. And it's really down to how they've changed the outflow from the back of the car that's let them get closer. Plus, we got to give props to Pirelli here. I know you're going to laugh at me for saying tires again. Pirelli has continually upgraded their construction of the tires so that they can recover from getting too hot yes, and still let you race on. And it's now just the physical degradation that you're dealing with in longer stints. I'm going to applaud uh, everyone, especially Magnussen, double overtaking into <laughs> corner one. So I just mentioned, just, just a small mention, yeah. but okay, I'm sorry, yeah, it's just, no. I'll put it in there. I mean, when you uh, uh, Back in the days when uh, Bernie Ecclestone uh, ran, ran Formula One, he, he uh, launched sort of like a luxury TV service uh, in the middle of the 90s where you can watch all the cameras on boards and stuff like that. It was very high tech and it crashed uh, because no one could afford it and they didn't have really have the... the, the the, the people for it but um uh, since then everyone's been like oh how can i watch all that now you can now you can basically just sit down and you can watch all the onboards yeah it's great the entire feed and yeah. everything i did this today and it was just too much i've never experienced a race like this <laughs> really? you couldn't keep up with the cameras because something was just happening all the time and that is totally new for a formula one race 
Uh, no, I will, I will say, in addition to that, I know that the TV direction comes under a lot of attack, but one massive positive is I don't think we've ever seen more of the midfield battles, and gone are the days when they would have lap after lap of just lingering on the front car. It was almost like something where if you were leading the race, you deserved to have your sponsors on TV, but that's not where the action was happening. And, and we used to get criticised. Why are you always focusing on the front guys in your race review? Oh, yeah, because I'm watching it on telly, mate. I'm not there. We can only focus on, on what we saw on the telly, like you. Whereas now, we're seeing all the battles on TV. And I, and I think as much, as much as the TV direction gets some criticism, it, there's some real good stuff about it. It is really good. Uh, and what a way to sort of symbolise this fight in the championship between Alpine and McLaren as well, in particular, because they both had kind of really mixed weekends in terms of that midfield battle where Alpine really dropped the ball and Alonso's car. Thankfully, Ocon was there to pick up the pieces. McLaren with the the older engine in Norris's car because it failed in, in FP1, costing him some time. Ricardo brake issues again. So, you know, loving that that has its own narrative as well. Fun fact, guess who's tied for fourth in the constructors right now? No, Is it Alpine and McLaren? Yes, it is. <laughs> God damn. That that should not be the case at all. Alpine should be no. miles and miles clear. They cannot string a, a weekend together to save their lives at the moment yeah. because they clearly have a faster car than McLaren. Yeah, well, I mean, how much do you think Otmar's heart was in his mouth when Akon ground to a halt right after the end of the sprint race yesterday. I was like, there's no way he's going to finish all 71 laps today. He could barely get through 23 yesterday. And they didn't but, get him off the grid. What happened? Oh, uh, Alonso. Alonso was, on, yeah. uh, got stuck on the grid. There was some issue with the car that they were fixing and oh, they didn't energy, do before. energy system. Uh, yeah. The car wouldn't start when he came to a halt on the grid and the battery was just drained and they couldn't restart it. And what happened to Alonso at the end of the race today was uh, he had a third pit stop because uh, once he got his new tires on, I think there was a failure in the rim of the tire yeah. somehow. Mm. So he had to immediately pit again. And with nine laps to go, he was in P14, actually got a point. So that's four places in nine laps, and that's but pretty it, good. It, that's it very should have Alonso. been like sixth, though, shouldn't it? He, he really could have been on the back of, of Ocon and finishing sixth yeah. had that pit stop worked out for him. And there's a running gag in the Mr. Apex WhatsApp chat now about Magic Alonso and how he gets used a little <laughs> bit too much. But come on, he just is. At 41, he's still driving like a 22-year-old. Absolutely incredible. And I, I totally, mm. 100% see why they're going to re-sign him again for another couple of years because there's just no let in the guy at the moment. He overtook down to corner four on the grass with yeah. the DRS open and a hand waving saying no, no to Sonoda driving. <laughs> that guy's just... There's no way he know, he thinks that Sonoda can see that finger wag. That is all for the TV. Alonso is so aware of the broadcast and that he is a, a character in basically Big Brother F1. Anytime, anytime a driver waves the middle flag at another driver, there's no way the other guy can see it, but they're doing it, yeah. I think, for themselves for the as well, because they're like, otherwise I'm just going to do something yeah. I'll regret. It's like when a goalkeeper, you know, makes that little easy palm to the side, but then does a roll and a somersault. Yeah, it's all for the, it's all for the cameras. Now, uh, let's talk Aston Martin. Now, if I had Sebastian Vettel's phone number, I'd give him a ring. You know, we're, we're peers, similar ages. Both dads, I, I would invite him. I say, come and meet me at the the docks, Sebastian. We'd sit on the docks. We'd watch a few ships come in and out. I'd pass him a, a, a beer stein with one of those lids, beer steins with a cold 
with a cold ale in it and I'd say, have a, have a glug of that, yeah? And he'd be tired, he'd be depressed. He'd take a sip of it and he'd go, ah, oh, that was another long weekend. And I'd, I'd put my arm around him and I'd say, Seb, Seb, you don't have to do this anymore, mate. It's, it's fine. There's, you're rich. Your kids love you. You could buy 10 farms. You could use your wealth to save the planet. You could take over Aston Martin when Papa Stroll realises he's not, he's not getting value for money anymore. You don't need to do this. Just retire, mate. And as a, a turned around, newish Verstappen fan in the last few, uh, not Verstappen, sorry, Vettel fan in the last couple of years, I just want to tell him to, to quit, Chris. Just hang it up. It, it's, you're done. It's okay. It's okay. No one's going to blame you. You don't have to put yourself through this. The sport will be worse off without Sebastian Vettel. Yeah, I but know. I do fear we are watching the final days of his Formula One career. And that makes me really sad because he's such a popular figure um, because of all the work he does off the track, yeah. but also just because he's such a likable character as well. You know, he's a, a funny guy and uh, is, you know, the, the, the family guy yeah. as well. He's, yeah, passionate, very relatable. And um, and used to have these amazing moments on track that we're seeing. They're becoming you know, fewer and far between. And unfortunately, what's becoming more common are the driving errors and the incidents. And um, it's just, it, it's not how I want to remember Sebastian Vettel on the track either. Uh, I th- did anyone read the interview with Otmar Schaff? Uh, I can't remember, I can't pronounce his last name. Yep. Schaff now. Just say it with confidence, it's inter- fine. He did an interview uh, recently where he talked about his days at uh, Aston Martin, and um, he uh, he didn't really reveal much. But at some point, he just dropped a smacking line saying something about uh, Mr. Stroll and micromanaging. And micromanaging, for those who don't understand, is when the boss on the top is telling everyone to how to do their job. What Toto Wolf Wolf does is hiring a lot of people who knows what they do and then give them freedom to do their job. And micromanaging is basically how you did in the 80s and 90s, and it is not how you do business in the 2020s. And I think that's a serious issue for a team, team where his own son is driving one of the cars. Mm. Uh, even though you have big car manufacturers willing to maybe take over this company with a Formula One team and a luxury brand, very high brand car, I mean, I don't, it doesn't look good from my point of view. Chris? I think what we're also seeing is the effect of, it takes a little bit more to just take the best sort of pound for pound team on the grid, which is what Force India Racing Point was. They did the best performances with the budget that they had, the resources that they Mm. had, and you just chuck money at it. That's not how you build a championship winning team. Okay, does anyone want to give us hope? Because from, well, us, if you're, if you're like from an Aston Martin point of view, if you want to give them hope, it does look like a lost season. It looks like another lost season. It looks like a big step backwards. Your star driver, like Chris said, he's right. You know, it wasn't all bad luck this weekend. He made a lot of mistakes as well. I don't know how easy or hard that car is to drive. Stroll looked nowhere. They looked nowhere in Silverstone as well, Matt. Give me the silver lining. All right, the silver lining is the car that they have fundamentally is compliant. If and when they understand it, it will be fast. Vettel has had some good races this season, this weekend, not particularly. He clearly had other stuff on his mind, what with the uh, driver's meeting and Mm. so on and so forth. But even at that, he wasn't doing terribly in the race till he had that tangle with Gasly, which I'm not going to put on him. 
No. I'm going to put that 100% on Gasly. Up until then, he was doing fine. And I think he's... Didn't he spin as well? Uh, well, Gasly, yeah, put him off in the gravel and spun him around. No, I think he had another he, he spin. He spun in the sprint. Oh, the right. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah, that yeah, was contact yeah. as well. Can't remember with who. Yeah. But... um. But I don't, I don't think Vettel's race is necessarily run, but I think he's going to need a more consistent car from Aston. They have good strategy. I, I like their head strategist a lot. In fact, uh, she's, she's impressed me in the past quite a bit. They have good people there, some of whom at least I've heard don't hate working there. So <laughs> I, should, yeah. I, I, yeah. I think this is more a question of Stroll, Papa Stroll, continuing to buy what he thinks is the best car, mm. give it to the team, and then not realizing that it's going to take them a season at least to understand what they've just done. So it's a bit of a follow-up. Like I said with Ferrari, we did ask a little while back, you know, like, does anyone want to give us an insight into what it's like at Aston Martin? And actually, we did get quite a bit of positive stuff, which was like, no, it's, yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's fine. You know, whether, you know, so they're not being, they're not being like whipped, you know, at least. Um, so people seem to be generally happy there. But don't worry, I, I'll never reveal my sources. I'll just act as if I had somehow inferred that information myself and use it to make me look smart. That's what we do, Matt, isn't it? We don't do the leaks anymore. We don't yeah. do the hot takes and the, the breaking news. No, because everyone just yells at you until it's yeah. proved true. And then no one forget, no one remembers that you you said it in the first. You were the place. one who did it first, yeah. yeah. Yeah, my last one was the 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 Joe to um to be hired to replace Giovinazzi. That's the last one. That was me. Yeah, because that's that how was a good win though. But that's that how was a good apparently that's how Giovinazzi found out that he was losing his drive. I just felt really mean, so I'm not doing it anymore. I'm out. Yeah. All right, let's move on to the podium. <laughs> the Styrian Grand Prix in Austria. It was good. I liked it. I enjoyed it. I think it's a classic Formula One style race. It was strategy over drama. It was it was good viewing. And uh, for those of you uh, who prefer the the safety cars and the late red flags and the street circuits, I respect you. Just know that you're completely wrong. This is better. Silverstone was better. Austria is better. Paul Ricard probably won't be, but it should be. I don't know why Paul Ricard is not good. I can't put my finger on it. I think they need to just dig up some concrete, put some grass. What do they need to do, Chris? Last year was awesome. Was it? I can't remember last year. Last year was amazing because you had the great Hamilton Verstappen fight. And I think when you take these cars oh, maybe, over there, yeah. I think it's going to be tasty. I hope, it's gonna, I hope it will be a bit better. I, I just wish they'd find some way to make it so that I knew which way the track was going. When, oh, when, 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 when a big yeah, turn get, one sign and yeah. get ready for the turn eyesore one, turn 17 mm. then yeah, I on the camera just have a camera graphic that says like turn approaching because they, they do they do have a graphic for turns spanners in the corner no but you, you know what i mean like you're watching this the cars come towards you on the straight you and then the racing line on yeah and they, <laughs> that's what you need the racing line on because they suddenly disappear and you go oh no he's off oh no oh no Phew. no that no, was part like, of the track that's okay spanners, i think what we've learned here is that your tv is too big because you can't see what's coming I up i can't see corner. all of it that's right in my vast mansion my thousand <laughs> yeah. inch tv screen i have to that's turn what back. all the the paypal subscriptions are going exactly to. i've got my i've got an imac at home i have to turn my head to see different parts of it <laughs> Um, no, okay, so looking forward to that. We do have some hope for the French Grand Prix. As long as you're not going there and trying to park, uh, you're probably going to enjoy the race. But here's where we give out awards. We give out awards for, for a good thing and then a bad thing. So the good thing award is the thing of the weekend. It's the thing of the weekend. Fireworks and stuff. If you're watching the video. If you're not watching the video, if you watch it as a podcast... 
go and check out the video sometimes just see what our faces are like see which of what of us is the most attractive spoiler it's me christian's d- disgusting looking um me and chris we're the best looking ones christian yeah. and open Matt. shirt just baby. a shirt yeah. oh, <laughs> and look at it yeah, but uh, I've got the accent. Thank you very much. Christian doesn't do social media except for OnlyFans, but it's too expensive for the likes of you. Chris Stevens is on Twitter at Chris on Racing and, and Instagram and TikTok. Insta- so just search for Chris Stevens. Chris on Racing on all of them. Oh, Chris on Racing on all of them. Matt is at MattPT55 or Matt2Rumpets. Search for those and uh, all good accounts to follow. Thank you to everyone who followed at MistapexF1. Now have 10,000 followers on Twitter. So we're very, very happy with that. And you can follow me at SpannersReady as well. As I've already said, I'm not only the best one, but also the most attractive one. That's not controversial. What might be is your thing of the weekend, Chris Stevens. God dang it. I was hoping you'd come to me last. Um, now, my thing of the weekend is going to be Charles Leclerc's first overtake on Max Verstappen. It was just absolutely sublime. And you see Max kind of realizing a little bit like, oh, he's coming down the inside. I better do something about it. Oh, I can't do any more than this. And uh, yeah, classic, beautiful racing. Yeah. My thing of the weekend is going to be uh, Magnussen's double overtake. No, I'm only joking. Uh, Christian, <laughs> Christian, what's your thing of the weekend? <laughs> <laughs> it's actually not that. Oh, okay, cool. Um, <laughs> you got me so hyped up. Yeah, it's, my thing of the week is uh, just the entire racing generally because mm. I had a blast all through the race. It was uh, very good entertainment. It's well, produ- well produced. It's, I thought so, yeah. yeah. It's a very good package we have right, right now, I think. So that's my thing of the week, Formula One as a broadcast and sport. Yeah, no, I think, look, we are fans of F1 and we're fans of watching it on TV. I think we're critical of the points of the broadcast that we don't like. Like, thanks for never having that drone shot again because that made me feel pretty ill and until the tech comes on a bit maybe. But the fact is they've innovated and they've, they've always looked to push. And little things like we would never have known how badly the stuck throttle was affecting Leclerc years ago now it's quite alarming you see him going into corner and the throttle is stuck and you're like oh my goodness like they really worked hard to give us the information we need and i think most complaints at this point is you know niggles and uh you know and us yeah, we'll try just... watching a race from the start uh, uh, 20s oh. i mean of i mean it's just it's yeah. miles away even now if i can't watch the race live or if i'm out and i'm trying to watch it on my mobile without all the extra information that i'm used to like the 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 radio calls and the the, even the live timing, it's such a completely different experience. So I think we are very lucky with the information we have. We get to understand the sport and how it unfolds. Matt Trumpets, what's your thing of the weekend? Oh, you know exactly where I'm going to go with this. And sorry to be boring, but there was a moment in the race where my man Esteban was on brand new <laughs> oh, tires yeah, and unlapped himself on the race leader. And he was actually the last person to finish on the lead lap. So... Just for that tiny bit of fun <laughs> at the Red Bull ring, uh, and also for the fact that there was no shoving match after the race. Shout <laughs> out to Leclerc for to not that. hitting him. Yeah, exactly. Uh, excellent. Is that is that everyone's thing of the weekend? Just mine? Is it just, just mine yours. to go? Okay. Oh, what can I give? No, my that was the overtaken to? corner one. No, oh, well, fine. Yeah. I'll give that. Yeah. To yeah. As well. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm going to give it to. I'm going to give it to Lewis Hamilton for for proving me wrong with his um his more cautious approach. He is surviving long enough to pick up these results, and the whole team has worked brilliantly. And also, the, just picking himself up in a positive way after dropping it in the sprint race 
normally with Lewis, you know, we get a bit of a head down, but we've not had to see him in this mode for a while, but he did just, he just stood up and went, hands up. Yeah, I stuffed that. Really, really sorry. Thanks for bailing me out of it. Head down, go and get a podium. I hate to uh, interrupt the flow there, but uh, great uh, comment here in the chat room. Sure. Uh, what if we'd had the pedal cam for Leclerc's issue? <laughs> that would have, have been. been thing of the year. Well, because he did say, he did say, oh, if you could see what I'm having to do here to overcome it. Because I think the Ferrari yeah. engineers were initially going, oh, maybe he's like resting his foot wrong. Like on the pedal, like a yeah. new. So I'm, I'm, I'm betting with the pedal settings, you can have a certain amount of pressure on there before it registers any throttle application, and drivers maybe get used to that. So they were like saying, a actually, dead zone. yeah, like a dead zone. So they were going saying, take it all the way off. So if you do it the pedal cam, you might have seen like a comical, really lifting off of uh, off the pedals. Anyway, so that's the the positive. No, go on, go on, Christian. I think we're we're going to see a lot more of this in the future. Just now, we have at least mm. three helmet camps during the race. Yeah. So we're going to see a lot more of this just built into the cars in the future. Put the helmet cam, please, in the middle of the helmet, so I at least feel like I've got a driver's view. It feels a bit disjointed off to the side. And if we do the pedal cam, I, I want to see it from the from the front is much more useful, I think, than the back. The problem with from the head, the yeah, the problem with the visor cam though is it has to be in the side. You know the little cushioning yeah. bit on the side. No. There, is the, there, there isn't any of that on the top, if I remember. Also, right. you can see out from the top. It has to be in the side because there has to be yeah. enough of the cushion to make room for the camera and the exactly. wiring and stuff like that. So no. it has to be there. I want what I want. I want specially made helmets. <laughs> Change the helmets, <laughs> yeah. then. Just give it another ten years of camera technology. Fine, and let's go to the bad thing where we get to be all judgy. Yeah. This is the most fun one, anyway. What is your? <laughs> Oh no, you missed the apex award. All right, let's look. You've made a lot, Christian, of how you're just some old guy in the faraway backwaters of. I Denmark. didn't say old. I just mentioned my age. Yes, and which what is are you a, on about which age is just a number, but your number is very, very high, as is Matt's. Okay, what's your missed the apex award? Your bad thing award. Uh, we talked a bit about it, about the race direction, and I think uh, something is, uh, is is coming along in the, in a very short time. So after the race, all three uh, leaders from the podium got their physios summoned and themselves summoned to the uh, race direction. I think Hamilton's, Hamilton got a fine for 10,000 euros Suspended. for bringing his yeah. physio to the... And that is apparently it's something the FIA had had uh, discussions about them not going up there and then about the weight and did they drink something before they got weight and stuff like that. Anyway, there's something brewing in the race control drivers thing. And that is just the last place you need a fight. That is where you need calmness. That's where you need grown-ups. That is where you need clear defining rules yeah so so on that was all the top three who had their physios interact with them in in mm. some way that raised eyebrows because apparently they've been told you know, got to stop doing that and then they did it so they were all given a suspended what uh, one of our slackers fine. one of our patrons suggested that this was basically a bit of a uh, muscle flex from the from the race directors maybe exactly yeah, some people saying it was deflection some people saying it's a way of laying down authority which i don't overly object to they made a rule it was not listened to they issued a suspended fine i don't think this is overly controversial but the way formula one has worked up until now uh, i talked about bernie earlier in bernie's days bernie did all the passes there was not like a group of people hired to do the passes. He knew who got the passes, micromanaging. Nowadays, we have a completely new structure of Formula One. 
but within the paddock, they still have this friendship kind of thing mm. going on where we can do this and this, and then you get a fine and stuff like that. But there's still like a friendship kind of vibe. Right. This is changing into more forcible rules, clear defining rules, which is cool, which is fine, but it's uh, it's it's something that takes time, and you can't just put the hammer down on mm. things like that. Same with the jewelry. As Monica Geller said, rules help control the fun. Okay, Chris. Who missed the Apex for you? Uh, my <laughs> missed Apex award also concerns the top three. And it's, I don't want to throw anyone under the bus here. And mm. I'm only pointing this out because it was quite funny and we can look back and laugh at it. But the graphic for the podium oh, yeah. was <laughs> wildly. You mine, you absolute <laughs> turnip. <laughs> wildly incorrect yeah they had perez winning as a ferrari driver yes i what year is this yep that was that was pretty bad so matt has to quickly on the spot come up with a a new missed apex award Uh and since you have fantastic thinking on your feet and improv skills uh, matt trumpets what was your missed apex award you're not gonna like this if you're a pierre gasly fan but i kind of think his weekend was wretched yep okay how so and that's that well, I mean, you know, just driving into things constantly. They didn't have a great qualifying. And I mean, it just, it looks like in certain situations, uh, kind of like Grosjean, really. I'm a bit suspect of his situational awareness. And so this weekend really seemed to bring that out in him. It's really worrying for Alpha Tauri because their pace at the moment is more reminiscent of the early Toro Rosso years where they were finishing basically last or next to last in the constructors championship excellent and that just leaves me to give my missed apex award i'll try not to end on too much of a bummer but the missed apex award has to go to the crowd we're hearing some some shocking things and uh, from what we saw uh, it did look incredibly rowdy uh all for people having fun enjoying themselves but i think what we saw and what we heard about is bordering on hooliganism um, and, I, and I hope we get a grip on that because what we want to see is people going to Grand Prix, being able to be passionate, being able to yell and to be able to cheer, but everyone's sitting together. We never, ever want to get away from this great thing that Formula One has always had, that rugby, even though rugby is a, a terrible sport, they've always had this feature, which is that fans from opposing sides can all sit together and cricket as well. You can happily sit in, in the wrong place and it won't matter that didn't look like it was the case in Formula 1 and I, I want to see I want to keep that I want to be positive and, and keep that aspect Chris yeah I'll happily say that it wasn't bordering on hooliganism it was hooliganism um, at certain points and um, it, it, I don't think it just comes down to the team you support you know Formula 1 is great for having you know Williams fans next to McLaren fans and Mercedes fans or and Lewis Hamilton fans and and or Ferrari fans and all this they can all sit there and they can all mingle and have a good time and talk about mm-hmm. you know and respect each other for their views which is rapidly falling away and it's not just coming down to who they support it's coming down to gender race sexual orientation that has no place in our sport when when you hear boos like this and you hear see people act like that, we've seen it in football a lot. Uh, very extreme things in football, not many years ago. Uh, it it comes from somewhere, and uh, there's a reason why people do this. Of course, this is not normal people, and it's a s- small small percentage of uh, people going to the races. But when you see this kind of behavior, it comes from someone enabling it. We should all look out for people not enabling this. This should be condoned always. And I think some people last year should have thought a little bit about how they 
came about their wording mm. of stuff. Yeah, okay, and I know what you're talking about there with the teams, but we, we can't control what the teams do and say, but we can control how nice we are and uh, how argumentative we are. And yeah, we're, we're not perfect uh, either, but I think we would start from a place of, of trying to be nice, of trying to be positive, try and take that into social media. Tell me if we fail. In fact, no, tell me when we fail. But let's start with making social media a nice place to be and, and do what we do at the, at the racetracks. You know, I, I said there's nothing wrong with the booing. It's pantomime booing. I didn't feel like at Silverstone it had crossed the line. But maybe maybe those people who aren't hooligans want to set a nicer example. Maybe uh, I'm changing my mind on that. Maybe we need to see that booing as, as part of a build up to to something less harmless and a bit more sinister and then we'll try and be a bit nicer you're too old to change matt don't worry i'm not i'm not suggesting you change oh that's fine i thought you were going to tell everyone to tell me if we were getting it wrong because that's what you <laughs> like to do yeah tell matt matt at uh, feed mr sorry matt at mistapex.net and feedback yep. at mistapex.net is your most likely chance to get a reply on that we've really enjoyed doing the mailbag episodes after races we'll probably do one again after the or before the french grand prix this tuesday is going to be a patron only pod a doom scroll where we do talk about some some non-f1 stuff as well it's a lot of fun i think the bottom line is sorry to end on a bit of a bummer there but the bottom line is we have enjoyed two fantastic grand prix in a row i think ricard is going to be the least Paul Ricard's race we've seen for a long time. I'm just so confident that these cars and these regulations can race well and entertain us on any proper F1 circuit. And it's all proper F1 circuits, except for Singapore, all the way to the end of the season. I think we're in for an absolutely fantastic time. Follow me at Spanners Ready on social media, at Chris on Racing. Stalk Christian Pedersen outside his house near Copenhagen and follow Matt at MattPT55 on Twitter and follow him on Facebook below. All the links I talk about are always in the show notes below. Consider being a patron, consider supporting us, but do tell your friends to check out Missed Apex Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, work hard, be kind, and have fun. This was Missed Apex Podcast. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.